In the name of Jesus, uh, dear friends in Christ. It was October of 2012, and it was about 13 months before I came on board the staff here at St. Michael Lutheran, and I was serving in the LCMS church body, and I was on the district synod staff, and I was on the road that week in Arizona, working with some of our Lutheran churches and schools and church workers. Uh, One night, about 6.30 local time, I was done for the day. I was taking my walk, my laps around the hotel parking lot, getting my steps in, checking my phone, and when my phone rang, and we'll say her name was Vicki. Vicki was a church worker from one of our settings in Illinois. And I said, Vicki, how are you doing? And she said, well, not very well. I just got home from work. I'm sitting outside my house in my car watching my home and everything I've ever owned burned before my very eyes. And I said, Vicki, I'm so sorry to hear that. And then she said, Tim, I wouldn't expect you to remember this, but it's a year ago to the date that you were a part of the funeral service of my husband, Gary. And I thought, oh my, that was a year ago. He was in his late 50s. He died suddenly of a heart attack. And about a year before the passing of the love of her life, she was unfairly run out of a very toxic um, kangaroo court kind of situation. Uh, her call was not properly ended, and there, because of the circumstances, there was not much the church body could do about it. So as we were talking on the phone that evening, as she was crying and we were talking and we were praying, she said, Tim, in a little over two years, I've lost my job, my call, my reputation, my husband, and now everything I own, my home, and my last tangible memories and pictures of my husband are going up in flames. She said, my world is falling apart and I just don't know what to do. She said, I feel like Job. Well, you and I may go through those Job-like stretches in life, or we may walk through those stretches with family or friends that we love, when we too, like Vicki, may feel like our world is falling apart, and we just don't know what to do. Now, I was privileged uh, for 13 years to serve in the LCMS district office, and one of the hats I wore was that of pastoral care for the hundreds of church workers in our district. And there were times I had to walk with them through some tough journeys in their family life, their marriages, their personal, their professional, their calls. And likewise, here at St. Michael, I have the privilege of serving in the area of pastoral care. And we know there are those stretches, those times when we get that unexpected job loss. Or the news is the C word, cancer, and we weren't expecting that from the doctor. We know there are those stretches where the bills continually exceed the income stream that we have. When we see the heartbreak and have the heartbreak of our grown children, our grandchildren, turn their backs on the Lord and go the other way. When the temptations of that ugly addiction are once again rearing its head. Or we're becoming more and more discouraged by the ravages and the realities of aging and dementia, whether it's for us or a loved one or a friend. There are all times we feel like, Vicki, when our world is falling apart and we don't know what to do. Well, as we continue in our summer sermon series uh, today, What to Do When, we're going to look at what to do when our world is falling apart, and we're going to look at the story of Job. Now, a little background on Job. Job was a man who endured a great deal of suffering. He lived in the land of Uz, not Oz. He was a real person who had real problems who turned to a real God. And we learned in the very first chapter of Job, the first three verses, that Job was a wealthy man. He was a family man. He was a prayerful man. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, a number of servants. One of the richest men in the east, he was loaded. He had it all. And God allows a period of suffering 
where Satan uh, will throw different trials and temptations his way. And God is always in control, but it's a part of testing Job's faith. And the goal of any test is always that we would come out of something stronger. God would test Job's faith with all that the world, the sinful world, could throw at Job. And that's a pretty good summary of the action-packed first two chapters of the book of Job that we're going to unpack here today. So picking up with chapter 1, the chapter preceding our text today, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, and this is part of the first period of testing. God says to Satan that he cannot lay a finger on Job physically. God is in control. There are limits that will be put on Satan. It's a challenging story, the story of Job. It's a challenging, it's a story of suffering from one of the oldest books of the Bible. But whether it's then or today, it shows the sovereignty of God that he is always in control. Well, by way of summary, what happened to Job during that first period of testing? Well, Job suffers the following. He suffers his oxen were attacked by foreigners and taken away from him. And as we go down this list of animals that he loses, when we hear oxen and donkey and camels, we got to think of you and me today losing our bank accounts and our stocks, our bonds, our 401ks. Next, his sheep and his servants were killed in a lightning storm. His camels were stolen by an invading army, and all ten of his kids were killed in a mighty windstorm, some kind of bizarre tornado. Now, I can't imagine, I can't fathom the devastating loss that Job went through, especially the loss of all his kids. Hence the phrase we sometimes use when we go through those stretches in life when our world falls apart, we're going through a Job-like stretch or a Job-like period of suffering. But we see in chapter 1, verse 20, in response to all that happens, In that first test, Job got up, Scripture says, tore his robe, shaved his head, both signs of mourning, ceremonial mourning at that time in the ancient Near East culture. Then he falls to the ground, verse 21, he says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in verse 22, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And now we go to our text today that was read, Job chapter 2, the first 10 verses. And this is the second period of testing. We pick it up at verse 3. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and he shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you cited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Then Satan replies, Skin for skin, a man will give you all he has for his own life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and you will surely, he will surely curse you to his face. The Lord says to Satan, very well, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So again, throughout this period of suffering and testing that Job will go through, God again is in control. He puts that limitation. He cannot, Satan, kill Job. But Job does become afflicted with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Now, these sores that get translated out in English as boils um, were painful. But the overall exact nature of the illness that Job had, I'm not sure we fully know the extent of because the symptoms were so many and so varied. Job, throughout the book of Job, suffers from the following. Festering sores, horrible nightmares, scabs that peeled and became black. He became disfigured. He had bad breath, high fever, excessive thinness, pain day and night. It sounds like a pharmaceutical commercial, right? And the list of all the side effects that you hear and you wonder, do you take your chance with the disease or take the drug? But Job had lost a lot. 
he had lost three big F's in life. He'd lost his funds, his finances. He'd lost his family, his 10 kids. He had lost his fitness. He had lost his health. His life was in ruins. His world was falling apart. And Job's wife, Mrs. Job, after seeing all that he had experienced and no doubt what she had gone through as well, perhaps in pity to her husband, in pity toward her husband, and perhaps in some anger toward God, perhaps just said, Job, honey, just curse God and die and be over with it. Well, when we look at the story of Job and how at times we go through our stretches in life when our world is falling apart and we may feel like Job, I think there's four key considerations we need to look at right at the beginning about suffering in this life. And the first is this. Because of sin, because of the fall in the garden, there will be suffering in this life. And we live it, we know it, and we experience it. And those that we love go through it. Secondly, God will sometimes allow suffering and sickness, perhaps, to get our attention. It might drive us to our knees. Maybe it will cause us to return to him, to submit to him. As a good pastor friend of mine likes to say, often a sickbed can teach more than a good sermon. A third consideration about suffering is that suffering can reveal what we're made of by God's grace. Not that we ever want to go through it, and not that the suffering that happens in this world is God's desire, but it's inevitable and we can grow spiritually and closer in our faith with our Lord through it. It's the concept of our faith being refined by the fires of suffering in this life. Now, as I look back on my own life and spiritual influences in my life, I have to look to my mom and my dad. My mom, who is in heaven, and my dad, who is still living, uh, have been and will continue to be significant faith influences in my life. And my mom, I never saw stronger in the Lord. I never saw her stronger in her spiritual and physical spunk as when she was diagnosed in May of 2010 with the toughest, most aggressive form of breast cancer that you can get. And in the months that ensued, the chemo and then the radiation, she fought the good fight of faith and life, and I saw her faith get refined through much suffering. I was with her uh, five years later, May of 2015, sitting across from our oncologist when she got the good news that by God's grace she was cancer-free. The breast cancer had been beaten. But I also was with her six weeks later across the desk from another oncologist when she received the unexpected news that a new type of cancer had developed. It was pancreatic stage four, inoperable. And in the next three weeks, from the passing of my mom, or from the time of diagnosis till the Lord called her home, I saw what God had really created her to do and be in this life. She suffered tremendously, and I am thankful for the opportunity I had to spend a lot of time with her. But I saw her faith again, refined by the uh, fires of struggle, and I know from some hospital encounters, people, I believe, were reached through the Lord. Um, by this difficult suffering she went through. Not that it was a good thing. It was sad, but it was faith-inspiring. God was at work. And a fourth consideration about suffering is this. Though we never welcome it or relish it in our life, it can be used at times for God and by God to prepare us for a future opportunity to serve him. I think a classic illustration of this is one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, Joseph. Now think about Joseph. What a 20-year stretch he had. First of all, it starts off with being sold by his own flesh and blood, his brothers into slavery. Then he's falsely accused. He tries to do the right thing. Things always seem to go wrong. He's thrown in jail. Uh, he's forgotten and suffers tremendously. But throughout those two decades, God was working and refining that faith and strengthening that faith. And probably little did Joseph know at times that God was preparing him for a time 
two decades later to be the number two man to Pharaoh, his right-hand man, and be in a position to save his family and his nation. As a matter of fact, I was talking with someone recently who I think if you knew the circumstances, everybody would agree they had been through a Job-like period of suffering over the last several years. So much had gone wrong in so many fronts of their life. And what this person shared with me recently was now as they seem to be getting to the end of that season where the Lord is working restoration in a lot of different areas, they said, I never would have dreamed when my world was falling apart when I was at my lowest that God would be preparing me to serve him in new chapters in my life. And she said, once I'm totally back on my feet, I've got some areas I want to serve and feel called to serve the Lord in that would have been way outside my comfort zone before this time of suffering. What do we do, as the title of our summer sermon series says, what do we do when, and our focus today, what do we do when, when our world is falling apart, our lives are collapsing before us? Well, in Scripture, we see Job turning to God, to God in faith. Again, to paraphrase Job 121, you know, as Job looked at his life, and this is a pretty consistent thread throughout the book of Job, that the good that happened, the bad that happened, Job didn't always get it or understand it, but he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And likewise, when our world is crumbling, when we have or if we go through in the future times when our world is falling apart, it's that God-given, God-sustained faith that will get us through. Uh, a play on words that I like uh, on the word faith, the five-letter spelling of the word faith, a definition of faith that I think really fits is the following. Forsaking all else, I trust in him. Again, F-A-I-T-H. Forsaking all else, I trust in him. And sometimes we hit those stretches in life when all we have is that fall to the ground, face looking up to God, F-A-I-T-H. Forsaking all else, God, I trust you. When Job struggled with what to do, he responded to the great suffering by clinging to his Lord. But when we cling to our faith, it doesn't make all the suffering go away. It doesn't make our world easy to endure. As a matter of fact, our life, the world, is not a Hallmark Channel movie. Not every story has a happy ending. Not every, well, if it's the Hallmark Channel, I guess every, every movie has the same plot as well. But that's another story. My wife loves those. She says, Tim, you end up watching them with me anyway. But whatever. But faith in God is the key. But there are three things as we go through this life when our world is falling apart that faith will not do that I think we need to keep in mind. One thing, faith in God will not eliminate all the pain. Job was still crushed by the pain of losing his children, the economic loss, the social, the physical pain. He tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground. Matter of fact, his ailments were so profound in our reading for today. Job 2, 7 and 8 said that he took broken pieces of pottery and just tried to like scrape his sores, almost like a crude surgeon just to get some kind of relief. But again, in the midst of pain, Job 1.21, through the good and the bad, Lord, I don't always get it, but blessed be the name of the Lord. He trusted in God's sovereignty, but it didn't mean it was easy. And you think of sometimes when we go through those stretches, when our world really feels like it's falling apart, it's when we lose that loved one. And so many of us have lost loved ones. We will lose loved ones in the future, a spouse, a child, a parent, a sibling, a friend. And if that love for that person that we had was not so strong, and I can't imagine Job losing 10 kids, then the hurt would not cut so deep. And as we talk about in, in the Grief Share class, that to move from that time of such intense pain and mourning over the loss of someone to some semblance of joy someday, the only way that can be done is through the Lord. 
Faith in the midst of suffering will not stop a second thing. It won't stop all the questions in life. You see Job's wife in our text, she struggled with what happened to her husband. What happened to her is her kids too and her way of life. Uh, Psalm 13, King David, you can see the terror, uh, the struggles he went through with illness, uh, the fact that he's on the run from King Saul wanting to kill him. Well, the book of Job, as we've looked at today, starts out with two great action-packed chapters in chapters 1 and 2. But many times we don't go beyond chapter 2. And the next 35 chapters of Job, if you read it, they're filled with some very tough, great questions about suffering in this life. So not all questions will get answered. And finally, third, faith in the midst of suffering will not answer all the why. Sometimes we might think, if we have a strong enough faith, I'll know all the whys of why these bad things are happening to me. The strongest faith in the Lord does not always provide the logical answers to the whys. We won't understand why that job loss hit at this stage of my life and in this part of my career. We won't understand why did my child get cancer? Why does my spouse continue to be so abusive to me? And the list can go on. But the key in such situations like Job is with faith, those longing eyes and faithful heart to turn to God. And not focus on the wise, and that's the natural. That's our natural human inclination. I'm the same way. But like Job, not focus on the wise, but focus on the who. Be driven to the one who is the most important relationship in our life, and that's our ultimate sovereign God. Because many of the wise of this life, when our world falls apart, just won't be answered on this side of glory. And the good news is when we're on the other side of glory... Because of what Christ has done for us and our faith and trust in him, those whys won't matter, will they? Now, if there's three things that faith in God will not automatically wipe off the plate when we go through our periods of suffering, there's two big things that faith in God will. And the first is faith in the midst of suffering will remind us that God is sovereign. I was talking with one of our members very recently, uh, going through one of the most difficult stretches and most difficult diagnoses that you can go through. And what she said is, Pastor Tim, through it all, I have my faith. I know that God is sovereign, and it's tough enough with faith. She said, I can't imagine going through this or life without knowing God. And in the story of Job, God was always fully in control. Satan was never in the driver's seat for even a second. Um, Satan was only allowed so much latitude as he's only allowed so much latitude in this world today because he's a defeated enemy. When Jesus got crucified, Satan got nailed, and that war is over. Satan cannot win. He cannot prevail. Now, there's spiritual warfare, and he's battling for our hearts and minds and souls, but he cannot win the war. The gates of hell will not prevail. God is always in control. And as Martin Luther put it so well, talking, I think, about the relationship between God and and the devil, and I think it fits here with Job. He said, the devil's like a dog, and God is like that all-in-control master. He's got that dog on a leash, and that dog is only going to go so far, never out of the control of God. A second thing that faith does for us in the midst of suffering is I think it can bring us closer to God. Though Job did not know it, as chapters 1 and 2 we work through today, he was about to embark upon a very intimate encounter and journey with God as his world was falling apart. The road of suffering would lead him to a more personal, close relationship with the Lord. Again, not that we desire to have suffering in this world. We don't want our worlds to collapse on us. We don't say, God, let the bad times roll. It's inevitable in this fallen world that we will suffer. But God is always there. It's been said that God will never waste any suffering. He can use even the worst that happens to us to bring us closer to him. He's always in the mix and in the mess. 
In that vein, St. Paul writes in Philippians 4, For rejoice in the Lord, and Paul says, I'll say it again, rejoice. It's what James writes about in his uh, first epistle, beginning at chapter 2, regarding trials and temptations of this life. He says, consider it pure joy, pure joy, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. David wrote many beautiful psalms by the inspiration of the Spirit. And many of those great psalms came directly out of seasons of suffering in his life. God will test our faith. Okay? Our faith will be tested. But this next part is very important. God does not tempt us. God will never tempt us. Satan tempts us. But as a part of testing our faith, there will be certain temptations and trials and suffering that may come our way in a fallen world. In the 42-chapter book of Job, Job's not the main character. Job's not the hero. God is the hero. And that's true for the entire 66 books of the Bible, the divine drama, the greatest love story ever told. Thousands of characters, there's only one hero, and that is God. So for us today, Job, who suffered, and all those who suffered before him, And ever since, including you and me today, for those times when our world is falling apart and we don't know what to do, we need to turn to our God, a God who loved us so much that he sent his only son into this world, who suffered more than anyone would ever possibly suffer. No one not only suffered more than Jesus, nobody ever suffered more unfairly than Jesus. Jesus never did anything wrong. And he went to the cross for you and me and for all people to die for every sin, every wrong ever committed or to be committed. He went to the cross for every person ever born or to be born. And may the reality of our pain and the trials and the struggles, and yes, those times when we may feel like Vicky, we may feel like Job, and our world is falling apart, drive us to a more close and personal relationship with our God. What do we do when our world is falling apart and we don't know what to do? F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all else, I, we trust in him. In the name of Jesus, amen.